morning. Morning. All right. Some of you haven't had enough coffee yet. This is a. This is going to be a challenge. It's a moving uh, podium here. But um, <laughs> turn with me to the Book of Jude. The Book of Jude, and we are going to continue and finish by God's grace our study of Jude. So let's uh, join together and we'll pray and see what God will say to us through this text. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we come into this country. We have a country where we can uh, worship freely. Lord, uh, how difficult it is even just to rent a place in different countries. And we've seen that firsthand. How difficult and how, how many blocks uh, are put in your way. And uh, Lord, we, we know that what you believe and what you think about God affects the way you live. And we see that even in Paris. This is a battle of ideas, a battle of, of philosophies. It is a battle of who is truly God. And Father, we, we know that uh, Islam, we know that uh, they follow a false God. And so we pray that we would be um, contenders of the faith. We would stand fast for the truth. You would give us courage and boldness and love and patience. Um, we may not even be facing what Paris faced, but Lord, we know that there is um, contention here with the gospel. There's mockery of the gospel. There's mockery of your name. And so, Father, we need to be, as, as you've brought us here, uh, this band of believers as a church, we need to be a light, we need to be a, a, a pillar of truth, but we know we can't do this without your saving grace, without your power, without your strength. So help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when we were um, in another ministry uh, before coming here, and as we were there, I didn't, you know, we were at CBC for quite a long time. We never really saw, we were there after the whole, there was a, uh, there was a split. And so, for many years, CBC had a lot of, uh, many years of unity, and we didn't see any of, a lot of the dissension and a lot of the arguing and things like that, what happened prior to us coming, before I got saved. And so I thought that's really what the Christian life is. There's no arguments at church at all. There's no disagreements at church at all. And I was in for a rude awakening when we were in a different ministry. I, I noticed that people would come... And um, I, I noticed and I felt kind of strange because they would uh, address you in terms that would inflate your, um, your, your view of yourself. Uh, for myself, they would never call me, they would never call me uh, brother. They'd just call me professor or sir or that's the way they would address me. And many of them did it respectfully, but a lot of times... Uh, when you were with some of the folks, there a lot of times they would say, well, you're so godly, you're so this, and you're so that. And immediately I would have flags in my head because uh, sometimes I did sense that it was very genuine and sometimes I didn't. And it all came to a head one time as we were in this ministry, the folks who were really supposed to be close with us really turned on us. And it was quite a scene where we had to, as the leaders, we had a little mini rebellion on our hands where folks, all of a sudden, they threatened to, we had a big meeting, um, and as we had this big meeting, there was a threat to disrupt the meeting, there was a threat to disrupt other believers. They started talking to other believers and changing the truth of what was said, and all of a sudden there was seeds of disunity when there was no real, there was no real um, communication or love given back and forth. It was only just blaming and mockery. And so with that, a lot of folks actually just left uh, the doctrines of grace that we taught. Or they would leave 
the, the view that there was only, um, that God had finished speaking in the scriptures. They would start to go back and to think that they had their own revelation. And for Jeanette and me, that was a real big eye-opener. We had people in our faces say, hey, you're a great brother, you're a great sister, turn around in a week. All of a sudden say, we don't want to be, we don't want to spend any time with you. you. You guys are hypocrites. Broke our hearts because we poured ourselves into these folks. And what occurs is, and how this starts to germinate, is when people start to teach wrong doctrine and they start to, uh, they start to mock wrong doctrine. And Jude talks about this, and Jude tells us by the Holy Spirit, how do you deal with this? We know that uh, the text says here in Jude, it says here, um, Beloved, I make every effort to you, verse 3, to write to you a common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And so the text here is for us to contend for the faith, to contend for truth, to fight, therefore, for unity as a result of that. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you, as a church, would contend for the pure gospel. You would contend for the pure gospel. These are sweet days here. We have this soft opening here. You got, we are real close. And I pray by God's grace, over the years, as we serve together, we will become even more close, and our lives will become even more intimate and intertwined with each other as we walk with Jesus. But understand this, okay? That God desires for you not just to have this sweet and love fellowship with each other, but that we would fight for the faith together. Now there's a three-prong attack on how you are to contend for the gospel. We are not, as the Muslims, supposed to take up arms. We are not, as, the, as, as what we've seen, the terrorists, the jihadis, they took, the, they took these uh, high-powered rifles and these suicide bombs, and that's how they fight for their faith. That's not how God wants you to fight for your faith. He wants you to fight, but with different tools. And so he has a three-prong approach of how we are to attack. And the first one, if you see in verse 17, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, here it is, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. There will be mockers. That's the whole heart of that passage right there. In verse 17, 18, and 19. There will be mockers. So the first point. How do you attack? How do you fight against false doctrine? False philosophies that come into the church? Number one. okay, Because it says mockers. My first point is avoid haters. Avoid haters. And the word mocker really brings that up. Okay. Avoid haters. Now notice here, he says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude says this out of a context of love. Love will warn even if it ruffles feathers. Love will tell the truth even if it's disagreeable to someone. Love will go that way. You understand? Love is not going to stay silent simply because we can have a fake peace. Love will discuss what needs to be discussed. And the first thing is, what he says is, that God is warning you. God is warning you. And perhaps maybe we're trumpeting this a little bit too high. Perhaps maybe you might say, Angelo, you're a little bit paranoid. Brothers and sisters, if you've been outside... If you even speak to anyone of what they believe about God and what they believe about the Word and what they believe about Christ and what they believe about the world and sin and heaven and hell, you will soon realize that people don't believe what you believe. Even in Christendom, people don't believe in what you believe. People don't believe in what the Scriptures teach. And I want to just encourage you that God is warning you, not me. God is warning you. God is warning you to keep that lamp bright. God is warning you to keep that pillar strong. God is warning you to have a discerning mind that can cut through uh, truth and false 
God is warning you. It says here, they were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus. And he says here, this is what they do, if you remember in verses 15, oh, excuse me, Verse 12, they're men with hidden reefs in your love feet, your feet without cloud, with fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water. We understand that. He says, that's what they do. They are fruitless in themselves. They come into congregations and they destroy and they make havoc. He says, but that's not what you are to do. What are we supposed to do? Go over there, the front door. And ask everyone, hey, are you a false doctrine teacher? No? Okay, you can come. Are you a false doctrine teacher? Yeah, yes? No, no, you stay out. That's not how God desires for us to fight these battles, okay? He says, number one, understand that I am warning you. Remember this. He says, who taught them this? He says, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles were those who were chosen, commissioned. They saw the resurrected Christ. They were given authority over the church. This is a command by God for you to be discerning. To be clear-minded on this. Ephesians says that the apostles formed the foundation of the local church. That they are God's appointed spokesmen. And then he says this, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses this personal possessive pronoun. This is our Lord. This is our Savior together. So as you avoid the haters, notice that the master of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, is warning you through the apostles. Listen to me. Don't. And then as we go on, and when the things do happen, brothers and sisters, they do happen. When they do happen, don't feel like you're surprised. God has been warning you. God has been telling you. We are in battle. And sometimes we think, oh man, how could we be in battle? Man, the beach is nice. How can we be in battle? We got jobs. How can we be, be in battle? Look at our places. We're doing just fine. The weather's nice. Brothers and sisters, if, have you not learned that life is war? We're at war. And when, it's, when you start to proclaim Christ, all those who desire to live godly, what does the text say? Will be persecuted. That's the truth of the matter. Now, if you don't want to live godly, and if you don't really care about God's convictions, and you don't really care about what God wants, and you just kind of want to float in this life, you say you're a Christian, and you just want to go down this stream, you know what? You're not going to make a difference. You're not going to be a light to anyone. You're not going to show who Christ is. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But if you just live that way without really spending, without giving your life over to what God has called you to do, it won't make any difference, any mark in the kingdom of God. And I pray that's not why you're here. I know that this is why you're here. You're here to do something. Amen? You're here to make a difference. You're here to reach, to reach your, uh, your friends, your co-workers, your family. So number one, how do you avoid the haters? You've you got to take this first. That God is warning you that they're coming. Secondly, that God is equipping you. God is equipping you. You notice here, he says here, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodliness. They are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. And he says in the last time, he talks about these people called mockers. Okay? Mockers. Now this term uh, captures the point of someone who makes fun of another person. A scoffer. A scorner. A deceiver. An idea of playing like children. And Jude is actually speaking, when Jude talks, he's saying, these are what the apostles said. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, you'll see how Peter unfolded this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He uses the same language. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Tell me if this sounds familiar, okay? Jude, do you remember what he just said? Remember what the apostles say, said before. Jude is probably thinking, you know what? I remember what Peter said. This is what he said here. 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Know this, first of all, in the last day, who will come? Mockers, again, will come after their mocking, following after their lust. It sounds just like Jew, doesn't it? And saying, where is the promise of this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as the beginning of creation. So what was the, what was the trial there? What was the struggle there? It says here, verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at the time was destroyed. But by his word, verse 7, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. In other words, what did they say? They said, where is Christ? You say Christ is coming. Where is Christ? Ha, ha, ha. You guys are fools. Giving up your lives, giving up your jobs, giving up your houses, giving up your time, giving up your resources. You're fools! You gave it all up! And you say Christ is coming back. Where has he come? When is he going to come back? It's been such a long time. When is he going to come back? He's not coming. He's not coming. You see, when they make fun of your Savior, they are making fun of you. Because now all of a sudden you, you feel that. And now they're they're mocking. They make fun. They make fun of. Uh, they don't think judgment is coming. How will you know them? They mock biblical teaching. When the when clear biblical teaching comes out, they mock it. They make fun of it. How will you know them? They mock biblical teachers. How will you know them? They mock truth. I remember we were watching a movie um, a couple days ago. We watched God's Not Dead. And as we were watching that, I, I had to turn it off a couple times because it reminded me of college. That was my college experience. I'd go to professors and they would force me to do more work. And then they'd give me lower grades. It just brought back all those memories of, of all those professors said, you really believe that? In this day and age, they used to say that to me. And I was just a freshman. And they said, you really believe that? That some carpenter who died on a cross can save your eternal soul? All you have to do is believe it? You really believe it? It, it, I, I, it brought back memories, to be quite frank. I, my kids were saying, why, what's the matter, Dad? I said, I just, this is just, it's just too much. It's just too much for me. And I had to go back to it later on. But yeah, they mock. They make fun of. They make fun of God's judgment. Um, I remember. Um, I remember I was watching this one clip of, of uh, the gay pride parade in San Francisco, and they just openly mock and just say, "Yeah, we're going to hell. We're going to hell." Well, yeah, 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 and they're laughing about it. They're laughing about it because why? They're following, it says here in Jude, Jude, they follow after their own ungodly lusts. The reason why they cannot deal with the truth, see, this is what happens, and you'll notice this. When people cannot deal with the truth that you are preaching or that you are sharing, they don't deal with it with facts. You understand? They don't deal with it with a clear argumentation. They deal with it by making fun of you. You see? You see? They call it a, an ad hominem attack, right? They attack the person. And so, why do they do that? And here is the base, really, here's the base reason. They do it not because they want to win a philosophical argument. They do it because why? It says here, they want to follow their ungodly lusts. Now the word lust can mean, um, it's not just sexual lust. The word lust means strong desire. Okay? It could be a strong desire for money, a strong desire for greed, strong desire for, uh, for perversion. 
And so the reason why they make fun of, they can't deal with the truth as you proclaim it. So what do they do? They attack you and they make fun of it, okay, without dealing with the real argumentation. They make fun of it. Why? Because they want to be able to rationalize the way they live. So this is what they say. If you make a stand on something, rather than saying, oh, you know what? When you say that God created man and woman in his image, and that man and woman is the design for marriage, rather than them saying, well, no, it's not the design of marriage, and here are the reasons why. What do they say? You're a bigot. Mm-hmm. You're homophobic. Mm-hmm. You see how that works? Okay. When you say, I love babies and I want to protect the sanctity of life, they say, you are, you hate women. That's what they say. <laughs> you see how it works. So rather than dealing with the argument, they mock. They make fun of it. I want you, by God's grace, by God's grace, to be able to see through all that. The reason why they mock is because they want to follow their strong lusts, their desires. And you're in the way. Now, now it says here, what do they do? How do you identify them? What is this part of educate, uh, of equipping? He says that they follow after their ungodly lusts and that they also what? It says in verse, where are we at? Uh, verse 19, they cause divisions. And what does it mean? They divide, they separate, they instigate divisions between people. It's just like the schoolyard. Uh, I can say this. I can say this here. You're all from Vallejo. It's like the schoolyard fight, okay? And they say, ooh, you're going to let them do that to you? You're going to let them do that to you? And they instigate and they promote. These are the kind of people. And they try and garner sides. But the way they do it, and notice it says here, the way they do it in verse 16, okay, is by flattery. This pastor said this. What about you? What are you going to say? Well, whose side are you going to be on? What are you going to do? Well, maybe we should maybe we should go against the pastor. Or maybe this pastor is wrong. Or maybe we should do this. And maybe we should have our own, our own place. You've got to be careful of that. They are worldly-minded, the Bible says in verse 19. That means they only see through unregenerate eyes. They don't see, they don't see this, uh, the unseen spiritual realities. They don't understand that there is truth, that God's truth is even beyond, and it transcends just what you see here. They're not, they're just worldly-minded. And all of this to say, okay, all of this to say, that they cause divisions, that they mock, that they follow their ungodly lusts, that they're worldly-minded, all of this to say, and here is what Jude's, um, here is Jude's assessment of them. It's because they are devoid of the Spirit. Devoid of the Spirit. Or, all this means is they don't have the Spirit. They are not having the Spirit. The Spirit causes regeneration. The Spirit causes illumination. The Spirit brings a believer into the body. The Spirit brings unity into the body. Verse, remember Ephesians 4.3 says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Spirit brings power. Now, let's bring this back. Let's reverse it now. The reason why folks are flippant with biblical truth, that they would mock it, the reason they are ruled by their strong de- desires, the reason why their lusts, their lusts rule them, the reason why they cause divisions and factions, the reason why they only see through, see things through the world's eye, they offended me, I'm going to offend them, that's how the world sees things, okay? They are worldly minded, the whole simple reason for all these problems is simply they are devoid of the spirit, and that's Jude's way of saying, they're not saved. If you continue in this pattern, of divisions, of destruct, destruction, you are not saved. Now what is astounding is, we allow those with no spiritual bearings, no salvation, to create havoc in the church. So, God's warning is this, that they're coming, and you need to identify them. Mm-hmm. 
You need to be equipped. You need to be discerned. That they're coming and you need to identify. Secondly, how then shall you contend for the gospel? First, you avoid the haters. Okay? You'll be able to you'll be able to see who they are. Because God already warned you, right? So you avoid the haters. And secondly, you influence hearts. Okay? You influence hearts. Now he says here, verse 20 to 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. On your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now here it says from verses 20 and 21, the whole root of this sentence and the root of what is being taught here is to keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And as I was, as I was looking at it, and why do I say my point is to influence hearts? Because as I was looking at it, uh, from my American standpoint, it was, uh, and, uh, from American standpoint, we're very individualistic, right? We would say, keep yourself in the love of God. We would think, oh, you, me, I should keep myself, by myself, in the love of God, right? I'm going to study and pray and do all of this by myself in the love of God. But in actuality, the text says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And the verb itself is in the plural form. So what does that mean? And we could say this in the way we talk, okay? All you guys, okay? Or y'all, you could say that. Y'all, or you guyses, okay? You guyses, okay? All of yourselves, this is how you fight, okay? Number one, you avoid the haters. But secondly, you influence each other's hearts together, as a body, you make it a point. I'm going to encourage, I'm going to encourage Brother Jason today. Today is the day I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to encourage that sister today with the word of God. I'm going to encourage them with the truth. I'm going to encourage them because they're starting to fade. And they need to focus again because the trial is a little bit too hard. And I understand it. And they need to see the truth again. I am going to do this. I'm going to influence hearts by the power of Christ. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, how do you do this? Now, he has some phrases in the beginning and some phrases in the end. The way you keep yourself in the love of God, or the, the way you strengthen yourselves in the love of God. Uh, yeah, um, first, it's based... On relationship, he says again, but you beloved. Now Jude, Jude keeps saying this. He keeps telling them, you are dear to me. You are beloved to me. You are not a project. You are not, I hope you guys don't feel this, that you are not a cog in a machine. You understand? We are a family, okay? And I hope, I hope this Thanksgiving you guys invite one another to each other's houses. Because this is all you have. If you don't have family here, invite one another, please. Okay? <laughs> this is all you got. All right? Love, this is family. You're not a cog. You're not a piece. You're not a function. You're a person created in God's image. You are a beloved person of God. And you have to remember that as we are talking to one another, that we have to do this in a context of loves, of love. Now, it says yourselves, as I said, it's not a singular exercise. This is my task. Your task is over there. You are to keep yourselves in the love of God, plurally. It is a church endeavor. It is a group endeavor. It's not envisioned as us staying at home, watching televangelists, listening to the radio, and maybe going to service and then going home. You keep yourself in the love of God in the context of the local church. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? What does that mean? Does it mean if you don't do these things that maybe God's going to stop loving you? No, that's not what it means. Keeping yourself... Whoa. How did we do that? Keeping yourself in the love of God means to stay in the sphere of His blessing. To stay obedient to Him. To stay believing in what he says. Rejecting false teaching. 
loving what he loves, hating what he hates. How do you do that? Well, he, he says here, this is how you keep yourself in the love of God. And there are three phrases. He says here, in verse 20, building up yourself on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Those are the first two. And then the last one is waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord. So you see here, verses 20 and 21, there are two big phrases. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and then at the end, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, number one, how do you keep yourself strong? How do you keep others strong? How do you influence their hearts? Number one, you've got to study. You've got to study. And it says here, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. And the reason why I say it would be studying is because it says, on the most holy faith. And we already know what does Jude mean by that. Faith here is not the exercise, oh, um, I'm going to go and hopefully there's going to be some provision for me because I didn't bring a sandwich to my work. So hopefully someone will drop food into my plate. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is not an exercise of faith. Okay? This is the systematized doctrine, body of faith, that we as believers hold to. It is the same faith in verse 3. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend, he already said this, that you fight, contend, earnestly for the faith. So if you go back in verse 20, he says, build yourselves up on this most holy faith. This means you have to be a student of God's word. You've got to be a student of doctrine. We don't have to be the same kind of student. You don't have to know Aramaic. You don't have to study the German uh, liberal theologians so you know what you, do, what you believe. You don't have to study Hebrew or Greek. If that is not your calling, you do have to know the word of God. And you do have to know how it works. And you do have to know that it points to the Christ. You have to know doctrine. You must grow in biblical doctrine. It's not an exercise of the faith. Rather, it's the same faith that was once for all delivered up for the saints. It's an objective body of truth. It's the system of truth regards to Christ, the gospel, God, and the word of God, and all it entails. In other words... What Jude is saying is you stay in the love of God by the intentional study of doctrine. You know, what's, what's amazing is a lot of people run from this. They don't, some people don't like it. They don't want to study about God. You know, I could ask them. Okay? I could ask them. And they, they've studied, I, I asked them about uh, what verse is this? And they won't know. Or how can you prove this? And they won't know. And then I'll ask them, all right, uh, who was an MVP baseball player last year? They know exactly. And they are the ones who says, well, my mind doesn't work like that. I don't really know how to study. You know what? If you could memorize baseball statistics, you could memorize the word of God. It's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of desire. And so what Jude is saying is, if you're able, how are you going to be able to influence your brothers and sisters? How are you going to be able to encourage them? You can't do it unless you know the Word of God. You can't do it unless you know the truth of God. You can't defend the church unless you know the truth of God. It's not going to be me, brothers and sisters, just me sitting here preaching. It's going to be you. How do you have those conversations with the folks who come in, the new people who are coming in? I'm bringing it. I'm bringing in new friends that I just met. Did you know that? They're coming. They decided they wanted to come. I'm freaked out. I don't know why they're coming. They said, oh, we're coming. They keep telling Jeanette, we're coming on the 27th. We're going to be there. I'm like, all right. But they're going to come with their own ideas. They're going to come. Either Maybe they're not saved. Maybe, they're, maybe they got hurt at a church. Maybe they're struggling. They're going to come. Who is going to dispense right doctrine to them while they are sitting in the table? I can't be everywhere. Mike can't be everywhere. Jeremy can't be everywhere. We can't be everywhere. It's going to be all of us, brothers and sisters. And how are we going to do that? You've got to prepare yourself by knowing doctrine. Yes, get in discipleship. Yes, get in, go back to the way you did it. When was the, here's a question. Here's a question. 
That's good. We love to sing, right? As we're singing uh, worship songs. We raise our hands and we're lost in wonder as we're worshiping Him. But brothers and sisters, here's a question. When was the last time that you loved God with your mind? That you said, you know what, I'm going to study this. This little sliver of what it means to be a Christian here, how the gospel affects in this area of my life right here. I'm going to study that. You need help with that. We want to help you. But love, you have to know this. You, and you know what, what that does is as you feed on truth, it makes you be able to recognize truth. And it makes you, uh, it makes you encourage. It makes you strong. And you know why you believe what you believe. You've strengthened yourselves in the faith and you've strengthened others. But you can't do that unless you know the Lord God. You can't do that unless you know the Lord Secondly, how do you strengthen yourselves? How do you strengthen yourselves? You pray in the Holy Spirit. This means to pray according to the Spirit's will. This means you trust in the Spirit, you submit to the Spirit, you rest in the Spirit, and you depend on the Spirit. So you're devoted to encouraging one another with doctrine, sound teaching. This is what Jude says, okay? What's going to keep the unity is sound doctrine, sound teaching. He says also prayer, prayer together. You remember he says yourselves. And he's still using a plural verb, okay? Pray together. And then he says hope, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Live with eternity in view. Has this in yourselves, brothers and sisters, that as we come together, we want to live with eternity in view. That Christ is going to finally uh, finish this. That he is going to, what does it say? In the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, that our eternal life is set, that it's all done in the end. Have this in view. Encourage one another. So that as we go through trials, remind one another, hey, you know, we're going through this together. Eternity is before us. Now, all of this studying, praying, and hoping keep you dwelling in the love of God. This influence is both a responsibility for those faithful in the church. This love should spill out in trying to influence others for Christ. But now... We influence hearts, not just each other's hearts, but we influence hearts for those who are in disagreement. Okay? And so, first, uh, sec so first, how do we influence hearts the first way? We influence hearts is by strengthening. The second one is by rescuing. By rescuing. How do you influence hearts? You rescue. And there are three phrases here, it says here, you gotta rescue. Have mercy on some who are, who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And what Judah's doing is he's telling you there are there's going to be these scenarios where you have to be aware. And as people come in, you have to be patient and be able to teach truth. Some of them you could change their mind. Some of them it's going to be a lost cause. And that's ministry. Now, he says the first one, have mercy on some who are doubting. You've got to proclaim the truth. Okay? These are people who are confused. If you've been studying doctrine, now you're able to proclaim it. Uh, the word there for doubting means to waver. These are those who are not strong in doctrine. They're young in the faith. They lack or they lack discipline to study. You've got to present the clear gospel truth to them. Secondly, you have to have compassion. Notice it says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. To be agents of salvation for those who are already entrapped. If they have false thinking, false doctrine. Um, we know it's ultimately God who saves, but we have to be an agent of salvation. The word therefore, uh, snatching, is the word harpazo. It's a cool word, right? Uh, and, and the imagery that's given forth is... Um, the word harpazo, we get the word harpoo. Okay? And so what, what the, the imagery is here is 
when people are going to the fire, you harpoon them before they go into the fire. And you save them. And you pull them back. You understand? And so the imagery there is, we have to have compassion on what's really occurring. This is real, true spiritual battle. The lunches that we have with our relatives and our friends. The time that we spend. Be intentional. Help them. Steer them by love and by compassion to understand the truth and the gospel. Pray that God would save them if they're not saved. Or pray that God would open their eyes. I'm not real scared of folks who have different doctrines. Not real scared. Because I know the power of the word of God. And I know the power of, of His Spirit. And I know we can, God's Word can change their minds and their hearts. So we have to be prepared for that. Amen? 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 Amen. Then it says to pursue holiness. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And now, here's an interesting phrase. This is what Jude says. Okay? He says, you need to have mercy with fear. What do you, how do you understand that? Yes, this is how you understand. Yes, attempt rescue, but don't get so close that you get sucked into the sin. You have mercy with fear. There's respect there. You want to help them, and you don't want to get sucked in. Now, here's what happens. With gossip and disunity, especially for what Jude is talking about, there is doctrine, and then there's gossip and disunity that's occurring. You can get sucked in really fast. You can get sucked in really fast. When someone is saying something evil about someone, you can say, well, hasn't they, haven't they done that to you? Haven't they hurt you like that? Or haven't they taught wrong doctrine? And why, oh, What's so wrong with what we think? And then all of a sudden you're sucked in and all of a sudden you weren't careful. And instead of trying to rescue, you got drawn in. Have mercy with fear. Attempt rescue, but don't get so close that you get sucked in into the sin. Now, he notice it says here, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what this means in graphic terms. Okay? The garment polluted by the flesh, that garment, the word there, is the word for the under tunic or the underwear. Okay? And he says here that this garment is filthy. It's polluted. He says... Make sure that you, when you have compassion that you don't soil yourself with false doctrine or disunity. Don't soil yourself. So, what do we have? The first one. The first one is, I have to look at my notes here. What do we got? Avoid the haters. Avoid haters. Secondly, influence hearts. Okay, you influence hearts. And thirdly, give honor. Give honor. That's going to allow you. That's going to empower you. That's going to give you motivation. Is honor to Christ. And here, look at this text here. Notice he says here. This is the last verse, and I'm glad we could finish this. The last few verses. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand. In the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. And if you boil this verse down, notice. We know it says, now to him who is able, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. But if you notice, what is the root of this sentence? It says here, to him... Now, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Everything else is a modifying phrase. In other words, the real heart of this is worship. Now, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. The first two points talk about how. You avoid haters, you influence hearts. The third point talks about the why. Why should we spend so much time and resources in contending for the faith? First, we should spend time in contending for the faith because of assurance. Notice he says here, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. 
give honor because ultimately anyone who remains faithful is really ultimately only faithful because of the protection that God himself gives. Here's what's amazing. Jude is telling you, get up church, get up and protect the church, protect the doctrine. But by the way, let me tell you this. By the way, everyone who believes in Christ, you're going to make it. And God is going to protect you anyways. So, yes, be active. Yes, be active. And yes, fight for the faith. But understand this, you are protected in Christ. So who really fights for the faith? Are you supposed to fight for the faith? Yes. Is God going to fight for the faith? Yes. And we're in this life here. Where we get to, we are confident that God is going to protect us, but also that we have responsibility here. And that gives encouragement, does it not, brothers and sisters? I know that we're going to make it. I know that God has done this. He's secured my salvation. He has sealed me by the Holy Spirit. I know He can keep me from stumbling. And it's kind of fearful, you know. You sit here and you think, hey, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be all right? Are we going to stand? Are we going to stand in the faith? Are we going to waver? Are we going to be disbanded? There's so many things against this little church, right? But there's one great being who's going to keep us from stumbling. Who's going to make us blameless and stand before him. And that is God himself. He gives us assurance. Now notice he says here, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's a wonderful. He says he's going to keep you from stumbling. He's not going to let you fall. He has the power to do this. He has the ability and the willingness to, to stop it. Um, there's a word there. He is able to keep you from stumbling. That word there, keep. That word there, keep, is a different word. It's a military word. It means to guard. And in fact, the word, um, the word phalanx comes from there. It's the military word where they put all their shields together. Have you seen that in some old movies? They'll put all their shields together and you can't get through. And God is saying this. I'm going to put my phalanx around you. Isn't that wonderful? I'm putting my protection around you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it against the world. I mean, have, do you guys get sick of reading the news or watching the news? Huh? I, I, I watch the news because I, I want to stay aware of what's going on, but sometimes I get so sick. I feel like our country's going to pot. They mock and they laugh at the Lord's, Lord's word and at Christ. All over internationally, they're attacking Christians. They're killing them, right? Christ's name is being mocked, and sometimes you feel like, man, how are we ever going to make it? This is how we're going to make it. To him who is able to keep you from stopping, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. God is going to put his protection over you. In 1 Thessalonians, it reads like this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, sanctify you entirely, May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame of the Lord Jesus. Here's Jesus' words. Listen, brothers and sisters. Just listen. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, that is the Father, I lose nothing and raise it up on the last day. He says, he will make you stand before the eyes of him, that there will be great joy. Uh, and, and that notice he says here, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is to be worshipped because he is our God and our Savior. Now, all this, he says, for glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Why should we strive? Why should we contend? Why should we spend money? Why should we plan and spend sleepless nights planning why should we get up here early and practice our music and serve God? And why should we stand for the gospel? Why do we do this? He says, because to Christ be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. 
Glory is all that he is. Majesty is his greatness. Dominion is his power and rule. And his authority is his right. And it says before all time and now and forever. In other words, brothers and sisters, we are in a fight for the faith. This is why it matters. You are in a fight for the faith because Christ is worth it. Not only is Christ worth it, he is your power to do it. Not is he not only your power to do it, but he is also your protection through it. Amen. So, how will you contend for the gospel? Avoid the haters. Don't let them influence you. You influence hearts, and you give honor. You give honor to God because He is the motivation. He's the greatest motivation to fight. You have a higher calling, brothers and sisters. You have a higher calling not to fight because you didn't get the refund at Costco. Not that kind of fight. Your fight is what? For the honor and the glory and the majesty of the one who came for you. And so this is why. This is why doctrine matters. It's not just, oh, you're just quibbling over little things. It's not like that. We are defending the faith, brothers and sisters. It is the only gospel by which man can be Saved. Amen? Will you contend? Or are you just going to let it go right through? Will you contend in your home? Or are you just going to let other people control the minds of your kids? Will you contend in your household? Will you contend in your ministry? Will you contend in your workplace? For the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are just overwhelmed with the sense of the burden. We're so glad that you, you have us all under control. We're so glad that you, have, you will protect us and you will guide us. We pray, Father, that you would give us bravery and courage and clarity to defend the faith. And we pray you would give us opportunities to declare your faith to declare your, uh, your gospel. We pray, Father, that you would help us, strengthen us, strengthen Redeemer Bible Church for your glory. Help us even next Sunday to declare your word. Lord, I pray you would help each of us to be uh, a source of refreshment, of sound doctrine and love. Thank you so much for this time. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.